Turn off your lights. Make sure your doors and windows are locked. Things are about to get spooky. I'll be late because they had to remove an old man who was behaving inappropriate with one of the air hostesses. I typed in my messenger app as we flew over the ocean. I can't believe that asshole bit her. I typed right before I heard some kind of commotion in the back of the plane. I found a time capsule with a letter inside that predicts my death. My page turner 627. The past few years have been an absolute whirlwind for me. For years, I was a struggling writer, dreaming of becoming the next great American author. But I simply couldn't break into the literary industry. I survived for a time on freelance jobs ranging from article writing and blogging to copywriting and editing. They say every dog has his day. Mine arrived nearly two years ago when my debut horror novel, Fragments of Fear, exceeded my wildest expectations and became an unexpected hit. It landed on the New York Times bestseller list with reviews describing it as an atmospheric and chilling journey into the depths of human darkness. I hadn't reached Stephen King levels of name recognition, but copies of my book were front and center in bookstores. I even got to go on a 10-city book signing tour and participate in a few talk show interviews. My brush with fame made me wary of the limelight. So, with the earnings of my book sales, I purchased a two-story house in the suburbs. The house wasn't extravagant, but it was far removed from the bustling city and the demanding publishing industry. It became my sanctuary, a place to find solace, recharge my creative energy, and explore my imagination without distractions. It was an older house and required some work, but I was excited at the prospect of making it my own. At the top of my to-do list was refurbishing the large backyard. I had always envisioned starting a family and imagined barbecues and children playing in the yard. Unfortunately, years of neglect had turned the backyard into a dense jungle of weeds and poison oak. I spent the better part of an afternoon meticulously mowing the lawn and pulling weeds. Afterward, I began to plant a new garden. While digging a hole in the soil for some potted flowers next to the old oak tree, my spade hit something solid. The metallic clang reverberated through the air. Fearing that I had struck a water or gas pipe, I put my spade down and carefully brushed away the loose soil with my gloved hands. What I uncovered was a small, weathered metal box buried just below the surface. The box was light, but sturdy. A blend of excitement and curiosity took over as I gently pried the box open with the head of my spear. Inside was a collection of old black and white family photographs of a couple and their young daughter. 
There were also trinkets, lightly sentimental value to the box owner. A tarnished silver locket with a picture of a Labrador retriever, a small vial of sand, and a porcelain figure of a ballerina. Based on the content, I surmised it was some sort of time capsule. But what made my blood run cold was a sealed envelope bearing my full name and the current date written in cursive. This was impossible. Judging by the photographs, the box must have been buried sometime in the 1920s. I dropped everything I was doing and brought the box inside. Opening the envelope, I found a letter that read, Dear Mr. Travis, If you're reading this, just know that in five days your life will end. We know this because we are the ones who brought about your demise. We apologize for the harsh reality, but employ you to understand the desperation that compels us. We seek to bring back our daughter, Lily, from the clutches of death, and your sacrifice is the price demanded. We deeply regret the burden we have placed upon you, extending across time. Please know our attentions are not cruel, but driven by unconditional love. We understand the enormity of this request. May you find some solace in knowing that your sacrifice holds the promise of restoring Lily's future. With heartfelt gratitude, Evelyn and William Hastings P.S. As a small consolation, we have provided you with a glimpse into the upcoming week. A separate sheet listed the date for the next five days, each with a mysterious prediction. July 15th, a stranger will cross your path, seeking a favor. July 16th, a creature of the night will find its way into your sanctuary. July 17th, the sky will weep for you, but you will find only darkness in these tears. July 18th, your most beloved creation will betray you. July 19th. Through flames, a cherished life will be consumed. After reading this, I was left in a state of confusion and disbelief. There was no way this letter could be real, I thought. I had my fair share of obsessive fans sending me ideas of my next novel, or their unedited manuscripts. It wasn't a stretch to imagine that a deranged fan or a prankster with a twisted sense of humor had discovered my new address and devised this elaborate hoax. Whoever was behind it, I had to give them credit for their creativity. They had the makings of a great horror writer. I returned the contents to the box, closed the lid, and set it aside. I made a mental note to change all the locks, then returned to my yard work. The next day, I was busy patching a crack in my living room wall when I heard a heavy knock at the door. I wasn't expecting any visitors, so I slowly opened the door a crack, keeping the chain lock still in place. Standing on my porch was a man in his late 40s, 
tall and lean with a disheveled brown hair and a scuffy beard. Uh, Yes. Can I help you? I asked wearily. Hey, I'm sorry to bother you. He began. But my car broke down in front of your house. I think the carburetor is busted. He pointed at the blue sedan with its hood popped up and smoke bellowing from the engine. I sized him up with suspicion. I remember the prediction about a stranger crossing my path. I had thought the letter had literally predicted a stranger coming to my house and asking for help. Instead, I wondered if this guy was the one who had buried the box in my backyard as a prank. Cautiously, I offered to call a tow truck for him while he waited outside. He happily agreed. I closed the door behind me and called the tow company. The man politely waited on my front porch until the truck arrived. He thanked me with a smile and left with the truck driver. For the remainder of the day, I peered out my window to see if the stranger returned, but I never saw him again. I convinced myself that it was just a coincidence, and as far as coincidences go, it wasn't the most absurd. Strange things have happened. The following day, the bizarre time capsule and its unsettling prophecy still occupied the forefront of my mind. However, when my agent called, inquiring as to why I hadn't replied to his multiple emails, I was thrust back into the reality of my professional obligations. The publisher had been breathing down his neck due to my delayed in submitting drafts for my much-anticipated second novel. I was contractually bonded to deliver a complete draft by the year's end. Just one chapter, Alex. He pleaded. A rough draft, anything. It'll pacify them for at least a month. I'll have it ready by the end of the week. I assured him, placating his concerns. Secluding myself in my office, I faced my laptop with grim determination. I vowed not to leave for any reason until I accomplished a writing goal of 2,000 words. By 10pm, I was sitting in the dark with my laptop screen as the only source of light. I managed to produce only about a thousand words. Feeling somewhat claustrophobic in my small, stuffy office, I opened the windows to let in the crisp night air sweep in, carrying the scent of wet grass and the faint rustling of leaves. I took a deep breath and leaned back in my chair, closing my eyes for a moment. Suddenly, a loud flapping sound jolted me back to reality. I jumped from my chair, my heart pounding in my chest. From the darkness of the night, a shadowy figure swooped into my office. Panicked, I ducked, my mind rushing back to the note's prophecy about a creature of the night. Was this it? The figure collided with my bookshelf, sending books showering to the floor, and hooted loudly before landing on my desk. Gathering my courage, I switched on the desk lamp. The room was instantly bathed in a warm glow, revealing my intruder. A barn owl. 
With an eeriness that sent a chill down my spine, the owl slowly turned its head almost 360 degrees, like a scene out of the exorcist, observing its surroundings. I had never been this close to an owl before. I hadn't realized how large they could get. This particular one was almost the size of a young child. Hey there. Easy now. I said, grabbing a flashlight from my desk. I slowly approached it, still crouched, with my flashlight arm extended. Before I could get very far, the owl spread its wings wide. With a powerful flap, it took off again, sweeping across my office, flying straight out my window. My meticulously organized notes fell victim to the gusts created by the owl's wings, scattering across the room like confetti. I poked my head out the window and followed the bird with a flashlight beam. I saw it glide into the tree line. It was slightly unnerving how its flapping wings barely made a noise. It perched on a branch, turning its head around to look back at me, its massive eyes reflecting back my light. I jumped back, shutting the window with a bang. As I paced around the room, cleaning the mess the owl had created, I felt a sense of unease. One prediction coming true, I could pass off as a coincidence, but this one was so oddly specific. I was starting to fear for my life, but what could I do? Go to the police? I'd be sent for a psych evaluation before I even finished my story. I couldn't sleep for the rest of the night. Instead, I stayed up and researched everything I could find about the history of the house and the family in the photograph. The articles I found about the house revealed it was built in the 1880s and had changed hands several times before being bought by a young couple, William and Evelyn Hastings, in 1921. They had a daughter named Lily Margaret Hastings in 1922. I found a news article in 1927 titled, Miracle Child Thought Dead Wakes Up at Funeral. The article revealed that Lily had fallen into a frozen lake when she was five. She wasn't breathing when her father pulled her out and was declared dead. As embalming wasn't common at the time, her funeral was held the very next day. As they lowered her casket into the grave, mourners heard faint scratching from within. When they ripped open the lid, they found the child shaken, but very much alive. Doctors were baffled at how she had survived. The theory posed in the article was that the icy water had put her into a deep coma where her breathing and heartbeat were too faint to detect. The only other significant thing I found was an obituary for Lily from 2019. She had lived a long, full life and passed away peacefully in her sleep at the age of 97. She was survived by two children, six grandchildren, and three great-grandchildren. The obituary noted her love for dogs and the beach, and her career as a professional ballerina. Hmm. That explains the trinkets. I muttered to myself. Her obituary was written by her granddaughter, Hannah Sullivan, who was the local head librarian. 
I glanced at my watch. It was already 5 a.m. Morning brought a dense layer of cloud cover. As predicted, a sudden and violent storm swept over the neighborhood, casting a shadowy gloom that echoed my inner turmoil. My rational side still insisted that this was an elaborate prank, but the creeping doubt in my mind was growing stronger with each passing hour. I reasoned that if anyone had answers, it'd be Hannah Sullivan. I looked at the library where she worked and saw it was only a 20-minute drive away. I waited for the storm to break before heading out. By 10 a.m., the storm showed no signs of laying up, but I was desperate for answers. I tucked the letter and photo into my coat pocket and ran to my car. I drove through the rain-soaked roads, the wipers screeching as I moved across the windshield. As I pulled into the library parking lot, I noticed that it was nearly empty, with only a few other cars present. The library itself was a Victorian building that looked like it had been recently remodeled. Entering the library, I found it almost deserted except for a young woman at the reception desk. She was engrossed in a book, her glasses perched on her nose and her dark hair tied up in a messy ponytail. I glanced at what she was reading and saw that it was a copy of my book. I approached her gingerly. I was soaking wet and still unsure how to explain my strange predicament without sounding stark mad. As I neared the desk, she looked up, setting her book aside and offering me a warm smile. Hello, she said, her eyes brightening behind her glasses. Can I help you find anything? I'm actually here to find Hannah Sullivan. I replied, meeting her gaze. I read that she works here. The woman looked at me with suspicion. Uh... May I ask who's asking for her? She asked. I knew I couldn't just tell her the true reason for needing to see her. I had one literal card to play. I pulled out my business card from my pocket and slid it across the desk. She read it, her eyes widening. The Alex Travers, the author of Fragments of Fear. She asked excitedly. She checked the photo on the inside of her book jacket to confirm. I concocted a convincing lie about wanting to research local lore for my next novel. And after offering her a copy of the book, she was more than happy to lead me to a small office tucked away in the corner of the building. She knocked lightly on the door before opening it. Miss Sullivan, there's someone here to see you. (laughs) It's Alex Travers, the young librarian added in a giddy tone. Hannah looked up from her computer screen, surprised by the interruption. She was a striking woman in her early thirties, her ginger hair pulled back into a neat bun. Freckles scattered across her cheeks, her eyes brilliant emerald green, regarding me with curiosity. She seemed far less impressed with my presence than her colleague. Thank you, Amber, she said to the young woman. Amber lingered at the door, hoping to be part of the conversation, 
but she got the hint to leave when she saw that everyone was just standing awkwardly in silence. Mr. Travers, please have a seat. Hannah said, her tone cordial but guarded. To what do I owe this unexpected visit? I sat down the chair across from her. I hesitated, unsure how to proceed. But I decided to get straight to the point. I explained to her that I had recently bought her great-grandparents' house. I reached into my coat pocket and retrieved the weathered photos, laid them on her desk. Hannah's eyes slightly widened as she studied the pictures of her ancestors. I found these in my backyard a couple of days ago. I said. They were in a box buried near the old oak tree. There was a flicker of surprise on her face, quickly replaced by a look of concern. There was a moment of silence as she traced her fingers over the image of the young girl in the picture. And the letter? She started. Was there a letter in the box? I was shocked. I hadn't even mentioned the letter yet. How did you know there was a letter? I asked, perplexed, handing her two handwritten sheets of paper. She examined the letter carefully. This is my great-grandmother's handwriting, she said. But how did she know my name? And the current date? I stammered, the fear creeping back into my voice. I just... I just don't understand. I'd heard the stories, but I didn't think any of it was true. She spoke, talking more to herself than me. What stories? I demanded. Hannah looked at me, her eyes filled with empathy. She sighed deeply and began. Mr. Travers, my family has a rather complicated history. My great-grandmother Evelyn was a spiritualist. She held seances, believing she could communicate with the dead. You've no doubt read about my grandmother Lily's story. I nodded in confirmation. Well, there's a family legend that when Lily drowned in the lake, her mother made a deal with the spirit world to bring her back. She continued. What was the deal? I probed. A life for a life, she answered. Not the life of anyone she knew, but that of someone who would live in the house in the distant future. I thought about what she said for a moment, and suddenly it all clicked. Wait. So you're saying Evelyn traded my life to save her daughter? I asked. In a sense, yes. She confirmed. This is my life! Do I not get a say in this? I argued. Hannah sighed. You have to see it from her perspective. She was getting her only child back. In exchange for the life of a complete stranger who wouldn't even be born in her lifetime. What parent wouldn't make that deal? This is insane! Is there any way to reverse this? I asked, anxiety in my voice. The rain outside echoed my desperation. 
fiercely hitting the library windows. Hannah's face fell. I don't know. This isn't something I've ever dealt with. As far as I know, no one's ever tried. You can't just undo three generations of my family's existence. I... Her words were cut off by a sudden crash of thunder. The room darkened as the power went out, only sporadic flashes of lightning illuminating the space. Damn it! I shouted more from fear than anger. I got up abruptly, knocking my chair to the floor. Are you, are you messing with me? Is, it, is this your idea of a joke? I accused, fumbling in the darkness towards the door. Hannah gasped, clearly taken aback by my reaction. No, I swear. I wouldn't joke about something like this. I... I didn't want to hear the rest. I pushed my way out of the office, navigating the dark library, and I found my way to the exit. Outside, the storm was raging, but I didn't care. My mind was spinning, caught in a whirlwind of fear and disbelief. The rain quickly soaked through my clothes, but it did little to damper the fury panic consuming me. I sat in my car, staring at a list of prophecies. The next to the last one worried me almost as much as my own impending demise. As I read the phrase, your most beloved creation will betray you. One more time, a shiver ran down my spine. My first thought was my book, my characters. But how would fictional characters turn on me, I wondered. I spent the rest of the day in a daze, trying to piece together the cryptic prophecy. I pored over my manuscripts, searching for any characters or plot points that could possibly betray me. I didn't know what I was looking for. I don't even remember falling asleep, but I was awakened by a news alert on my phone. The headline sent a chill through my veins. Fanatical reader commits heinous murder, recreates scene from fragments of fear. It felt as if the floor had given way beneath me. As I read the gruesome facts of the crime, my heart pounded frantically. The fan, a man named Robert Mills, was reportedly obsessed with my work, especially the serial killer character, Owen West, from my book. He had been apprehended after strangling his wife, which he claimed was a homage to one of Owen's most brutal killings. Feeling nauseated, I dropped my phone. My mind was racing. In a state of panic, I contacted every spiritualist, paranormal expert, and occultist I could find. All were either incredulous, dismissive, or too eager to explore my desperation. None were able to offer anything concrete or even plausible. I contemplated boarding a plane and fleeing to the furthest corner of the world. But the more I thought about it, the more I realized how pointless that would be. The prophecy wasn't tied to the house. It was tied to me. And there was no escaping myself. On the morning of July the 19th, I woke up with a sense of dread. The final prediction was to be fulfilled that day. Despite the comfort of daylight, the threat felt imminent. The morning passed in a blur, 
my thoughts consumed by what was to come. The knock on my door in the afternoon startled me. When I opened it, I found Hannah standing there. Her green eyes were filled with a strange mixture of apprehension and hope. She held an old book in one hand and a large bag slung over her shoulder. Mr. Travers, I'm sorry to show up unannounced. She began. But I couldn't stop thinking about our encounter yesterday. I think I might have a solution for you. Do you? I asked, trying not to raise my hopes. Yes, if I may come in, she said. Please, come in. I responded, leading her inside. Once inside, she laid the book on the dining room table. I spent all night going through my great-grandmother's old books of spells and rituals. She explained. And I found this. She opened the book, directing my attention to a particular page. Life, transference, spell? I read where her finger indicated. I believe Evelyn used the spell to transfer Lily's death onto you. She explained. Is there a ritual or something to reverse the spell? I asked. There is, but there's a catch. She replied, looking at me seriously. What's the catch? I asked nervously. If we do this, it will change everything. She warned, her voice grave. You'll effectively erase all the events in your life that led you to this house, to this moment. I looked at her. What What do you mean by erased? The spell, as it works, will shift the trajectory of your life away from your current path. Hannah clarified. Your memories and experiences, they will remain intact. However, to the world around you, it will be as if fragments of fear never happened. You would have taken a different path in life, one that wouldn't have led you to writing that particular book and the fame it brought you. But, but this is my life's work. My dream. I stammered, feeling a lump form in my throat. I, I dedicated years to writing, to getting my work out there. And now you're telling me I have... To give it all up? Hannah's expression softened, her eyes showing a glimmer of sympathy. Mr. Travers, Alex, I'm so sorry you had to be put into this position. You did nothing to deserve it. It's an awful decision to make, but there's no alternative. Hannah's revelation was a punch that got... I haven't prepared for many things. A bitter battle against unseen forces. A final plea for mercy to the spirits. But not this. I was being asked to forfeit the very foundation of my identity. My successes. My accomplishments. To live on 
but to be as a phantom in a life I could have been. <sighs> What's the point of living if I'm left with nothing? I wondered aloud. Hannah placed a comforting hand on mine. I know it's a lot of pressure to put on one person, but you'll still have you. With all your hopes, dreams, and passions, you'll still have the capacity to love, to feel, to experience life. Isn't that worth preserving? She asked. I kept my head down, considering my options. Finally, I looked up, meeting Hannah's worried gaze with resolve. All right. I declared, my voice sturdier than I felt. Let's do it. What do we need to do? Hannah let out a relieved sigh before giving me a weak smile. I brought most of the items we need for the ritual already. We'll also need a copy of your book. Okay. I'll get it. I said. We cleared a spot under the oak tree in my backyard, formed a stone circle, and built a fire in the center. The sun was already setting when we finished. Holding a copy of my book in my trembling hands, I exchanged a glance with Hannah. The enormity of our decision hung heavy between us. You have to do this. This is your life. She reiterated, her voice shaking with emotion. I nodded, unable to muster a response. I held my book over the flame, the heat nipping at my fingers. My heart sank as I remembered the countless hours, days, and months I had invested in creating this story. It was more than just a book to me. It was a piece of my soul, and I was about to watch it burn. Before I could second-guess myself, I dropped it into the flames. The book caught fire instantly, and the pages curling and blacking in the fire. A sharp pang of loss shot through me, but I pushed it aside. Anna interlaced her fingers with mine as we watched the fire. The atmosphere grew warmer, and the flames reflected in her ember eyes. She started to chant in an unfamiliar language her voice growing louder and more forceful as she went on. I watched in awe as the fires seemed to dance in rhythm with her words. I could hear the echoes of other voices, disembodied and inhuman, chanting along with her. As she continued, I felt her hand growing cold as her grip weakened. Then her hand seemingly slipped through my fingers like a fistful of sand. She raised her hand. I could see her horrified eyes through her translucent palm. What's happening? She cried out in terror. I hesitated for a moment, then turned my gaze back to the flames. Her eyes followed mine. The fire had burned through the covers of the hardback, revealing pages crossed out with a marker and her grandmother's silver locket hidden between them. I'm sorry, Hannah. I confessed, my voice choked with guilt. I just couldn't give it all up. You... you altered the spell. She stammered, her form flickering and gradually fading. You erased my family. Yes, 
I admitted, my heart heavy. I had to. You said it yourself. A life. For a life. The look of betrayal on her vanishing face was unmistakable. She opened her mouth, perhaps to say something, but before she could, she disappeared completely, leaving me alone in the cold summer night. I stood there, staring at the flames until it burned itself out. Felt alone, inside and out. I went back inside, and out of morbid curiosity, I looked up the obituary for Lily Hastings. It stated that she had died at the age of five after falling into the frozen lake. There was no miracle. She was simply dead. I did feel remorse for Hannah. She was just trying to help me and didn't deserve to wait from existence. But I hadn't asked to sacrifice my life for her grandmother. My life had been hijacked, used, and manipulated. All I did was reclaim it. My next novel, Echoes of the Past, was another critical and commercial success. The world saw the triumphal return of a favorite author, not knowing the ghosts that linger behind my success. Out of a sense of guilt, I dedicated the novel to Hannah Savalvin, Lily Hastings, and all those forgotten. And of course, I had other narrators help me bring this story to life. So let me give you the credits of whoever one was. Narrated by 242. Alex Travers by Evil Outcast. Hannah Sullivan by Duchess of Darkness. Editor by Whore on the Rocks. Stranger at the Door by Dark Torment. And lastly, Amber, played by the Queen of Panic. All their links are in the description box for you guys, and please go over and say hi, tell them 242 sent ya. After running out of rations, I was dismayed to see that the wolves had eviscerated the polar bear and left almost nothing edible. Fortunately, they didn't seem to have touched the liver at all. And with that, our time together is coming to an end. As always, I'd like to thank the writer who let me read their story this evening. It was a really good story, and definitely didn't end how I was expecting it to. It's not normal for the main character to be the bad guy, and I would say in this instant, because he wiped out three generations of a family, that he was the bad guy. No, he didn't ask for it. But there was another way to do things, and he could have wrote another book or rewrote the book. It, she never said he couldn't write the book into the future, it just hadn't happened yet, basically. And of course, thank you to all the narrators who lent me their voices to bring this story to life. You all did an amazing job, and I definitely could see you in these characters. Now, if you're on YouTube, if you enjoyed this video, hit that like button and make sure it feels it. If you're new, please subscribe and turn that pretty little bell to all notifications. And of course, leave me a comment down below, tell me what you thought of this story. 
What kind of stories you like in the future? Anything you can think of. And if you're on the podcast, please leave a review. It really helps us get out to other listeners who might enjoy these types of stories as well. And if you're specifically on Spotify, I do have questions that you can answer as well. If you'd like to help this podcast or YouTube channel grow, please share it with anyone who might enjoy it. If you'd like to help in other ways, I do have Patreon and memberships, where you get early access to the audio and a few other bonuses. And if you'd like to do a one-time donation, I do have PayPal and Buy Me a Coffee as well. All the links, including the ones to my socials and website, are in the show notes and description box. But as always, guys, thank you for watching and listening. It always has and always will mean the world to me. Sleep tight, don't let 42 bite.